just give a round of celebration for the word of God that was just read to us? That was so beautiful. Good morning. Um, last week, I was asked to do a sermon at a different church, and I did it. And this week, I'm back here with you, and I can't tell you how good that feels. So thanks for being my family. I really appreciate it. Um, in fact, I was so excited to be back that all morning I'm like, focus, Becky, just focus. Because <laughs> there's so many things I want to tell you. And I've been praying all morning, how am I going to focus? And then we got to hear the text. I was like, thank you, Lord. Even if that was just for me, thank you. So fabulous, fabulous job, and it was such a wonderful blessing. Uh, that's the passage that we're going to focus on this year. And, or this, it's not going to be that long, I promise. <laughs> uh, this morning. Um, and so welcome, whether you're here or online. I think my husband usually watches online, so hey. Um, <clears throat> we have noticed this year, Tim and I were talking about this, and when he said this, it actually triggered in me uh, the um, experience that we had on Thanksgiving evening where we all, as a family, we had dinner early and then we just went for a walk. And I was amazed and encouraged and excited. Um, but there were so many homes already decorated. Now, I think the Pacific Northwest does a better job than that, at that than most parts of the country that I've lived in, at least, anyway. But there seems to be, in my household and my neighborhood, and probably, I'm guessing, in the community, uh, this longing for Christmas, for something comfort, something joyful, something traditional, something stable, something we can count on after a year and a half of this pandemic. In fact, when we got back from the walk, my daughter sat down on the couch and she's, you know, scrolling through her phone and I'm like, hey, can we stay plugged in? You know, I don't know who you're talking to, but she's like, I'm not talking to anyone. I need a Christmassy screensaver. I'm just not feeling enough of the mood yet. <laughs> like, it's Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> so, but there does seem to be this longing for the predictable, the joyful. And um, when we read this story of Mary, into this Christmas story walks this young woman who completely shatters predictable. Shatters comfortable, <laughs> really, on a donkey, nine months pregnant, in a stable, giving birth, stigma for being pregnant and not being married yet, and who's going to believe her if she's like, seriously, I didn't do anything? Like, yeah, uh-huh, okay. Shatters our ideas of what it means to be predictable and comfortable. And hers is a story that I don't think I will ever personally be able to grasp. Like, I don't know if the, you're this way or not, um, but sometimes... I don't enjoy the Christmas story as much because no matter what format it's presented to me, it's not something that's either fresh for me, because I've heard it so many times, or something that I can like relate to. How do you 
Get your mind around that. So like, I want to be in awe and wonder. And it's the Christmas story. <laughs> I've heard it. This morning, I want to invite you to look at the Christmas story through Mary's song, the one we just read. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's actually a song. I promise you I am not going to sing it for you. Um, <laughs> see, I knew I was going to have to focus, but I'll let myself say this. If you guys are like, I get that the Christmas birth is a miracle, but yeah, I could convince you of miracles right now by me singing and then having Maya sing. Like, <laughs> miraculous, how did that happen? I cannot. But this is a song that she presents with us, for us. And when she presents it, she invites us to a couple of things. One of them is to be okay not being able to comprehend the awe of her story. It's unfathomable. So this morning I want us to help us catch what is that awe that I, I wish the story always had for me. And two, no matter what your view of Mary is, the closer you look at her life and try to like get into that, because she's the author of this song, the more you will be pointed to Jesus. That's her role as Luke expresses it. Remember the beginning of the book Tim told us a couple weeks ago? This is to confirm what you believe, what you've been taught. It's pointing to Jesus. And as she herself presents herself in this song, she's like, hey, God, I, go ahead, look at me, but Look what he did. So if we're, if, I won't do as nearly as good a job as you guys did, but I'm going to point us back to this text, and we're going to read it through one more time. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. First thing out of her mouth, like, oh, Wow, God. This is why I don't write songs. She did it better. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Those questions about why Mary, or Mary's questions, why me? She says the same thing that David did when God offered him an eternal line, an eternal kingdom. David actually expresses it this way. He says, well, you know me, God. Like... <laughs> Obviously, I don't deserve this. Mary says the same thing. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Um, I'm going to pause for just a second there. And because you're my family, give us Protestants a little nudge. Um, Mary's not scary. I didn't mean that to rhyme, I swear. Um, sometimes we don't look at her too much because we're afraid that that will be counted as worship and we might be counted as, I don't know, Catholic. <clears throat> Look at her. All generations will call her blessed. And when you look at her, she's going to go, Look at this baby! Look what Jesus did! Look what God did! For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now, I'm going to 
hopefully remember to wind back to holy as his name in just a minute. But uh, I actually wrote my, uh, this next phase out because I, I, I don't want to get overly emotional with it. But there's a reason that I get a little stuck on Mary's story, and I didn't figure it out until I was asked to teach on this, uh, these passages. The reason I get stuck is because I can't even grasp the awe and wonder of the birth of my own children. So how am I going to get there when the baby's God? So um, on November 18th of this year, my daughter Emily turned 16. And uh, as we sat around the table at his birthday dinner, Jim said, 16 years ago today. And you look around the table and you can kind of see the tolerance on the kids' faces, like, here we go. But he followed that and said, your mom and Miss Maya, the woman I named Maya after, almost got kicked out of the hospital. And the kids were like, what? We haven't heard this one. And it is so true. Uh, Jim doesn't really like hospitals or staying overnight. Um, I think suck it up, but whatever. And so Miss Maya, my best friend, had come down for Emily's birth, offered to stay with us. And we laughed and played cards and howled and laughed. We laughed so hard and so long that the nurses came in to quiet us so many times that the last time the nurse came in, it was like probably 2 or 3 a.m., she said, I am really sorry. We have never had to do this, but if you can't find a way to get self-control, we're going to have to ask you guys to leave (laughs) because you're disturbing all the moms. And now, Miss... It's true. Miss Maya and I are a blast together. We just are. But that wasn't why there was all that laughter that night. That laughter was just years and years of pent-up anticipation just bursting forth into joy. And it did that while we were playing cards or whatever else we were doing. See, Emily wasn't our first child. You know that. You've seen Maya. We had daughters at home who were seven and eight years old we were completely familiar with that smack you in the heart, like take your breath away, your whole world changes. You've been told what it's like to be a parent, and you've been told that you won't understand, you can't imagine it until you're there. And then they put that baby in your arms, and you're like, I wasn't prepared. We'd experienced that, like this is the coolest thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind, (laughs) right here in my arms. We have also experienced already at that point the joy of a second child, the one where your secret fear is that you could never, ever, ever again love someone as much as you love your first, and you're gonna be the worst parent in the world to this second born, and then that fear just seems ridiculous with the overflow of ah, love. I don't know, they should bottle that stuff. Whatever that is that happens to you when they set that second child in your arms. You're like, oh, this is what they mean when they say doesn't have favorites. 
Like before, that wasn't a concept to me. We had experienced those already, so that wasn't what took our breath away. Emily marked a new learning curve for us. In the years between our first two and Emily, we had experienced a ruptured ectopic pregnancy that almost ended my life, a miscarriage, a son James born premature who lived only two hours. I got to hold him for every minute he was alive. Another miscarriage with agonizing details that don't deserve to be in this story. And my pregnancy with Emily was so severe that I had a pick line in for most of the time, and they ended up inducing her early out of fear for my life. During all of those years, I got two things stuck in my head. First, that this baby was not going to be alive and go home with me. We didn't even bring a car seat to the hospital. <laughs> I was just convinced. And second, that God owed me another child. As ludicrous as that sounds, or maybe it doesn't, maybe you felt the same way, I, I spoke those things through my whole pregnancy. He owes me. He's taken so much from me. He owes me another child. The moment I held Emily, I, I knew instantly those two things were absolutely untrue. This baby was alive. <laughs> and that there is nothing that anyone could ever do to deserve the gift of life in a child. God didn't owe me, Emily. I could never deserve Emily. In fact, my husband and I looked at each other right when she was born and went, oh, her middle name is Grace. With that, that mom's heart, I come to the story of Mary, and as a mother, I'm already at my absolute limit of comprehension. When the normal parental experience that happens as many times as there are people on the planet throughout history is beyond the wonder of what I can grasp, what happens when that's not just my baby, but God's son. I'm stuck back here. Like, I can't get there. And I think one of the messages that I want you to take today is that that's okay. Stand in awe of that. It's unfathomable what God does for us. And I don't know about you, but I often feel like I kind of let God down when I can't get it or when, God forbid, the Christmas story bores me. Sorry, someone's got to say it sometime. And he's like, no, no, you couldn't get it. That's why I had to do it because you're really, really tiny, and your brain just, it can't go there. And that's okay. I'm not disappointed in you. 
I'm just eager to blow you away. Let's look at the second half of her song. I told you I'd come back to the holy is his name part. I have been wondering about this holy thing the whole time I've been a professor, even before then. For me, holiness has always been that peace of God that justifies his right to be angry with us because he's separate from us and we can't bridge that chasm and we can't understand. And then there's this little passage in Hosea um, that says he is not, oh, he's talking about maybe destroying mankind. You know, man deserves to be just blotted out. He uses better words. but And he says, but God is not man. He is holy. And that's the reason he won't destroy them. So I'm like, okay, my holiness parameter's all off. And while it does mean separate, that's kind of, if you grew up in the church, that's kind of what you've been taught. Um, I would... I would maybe reframe that in your own mind just a little bit because separate doesn't quite capture it. This one won't either, but for a time it will help adjust your separate notion. He is other. He is completely different than us. He's not people. He's not, he's other. He's in a category all of his own. Tim told me once when, Tim helps me a lot with sermon preparation and growth and learning, and he said, you have a thing, it's the bigness of God, it blows you away, and I'm like, okay, I'm worried about you because it doesn't blow you away? Like, this is (laughs) massive! (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw you under the bus just a little, but wow! And A few weeks ago, I didn't get to hear last week, so I don't know what you heard about Mary from Adam because I was somewhere else, but um, a few weeks ago, Tim talked a little bit about, um, you know, how we don't even really discuss, like, the virgin birth, like, mind-blowing, like, that, forget, the story could end there for me. I'm just like, what? How do you do that? What? Just, how is this God's kid? I'm not a systematic theologian, partly because of this story. I can't get there. But that's not the piece that was stunning about this story. Scientifically, okay, God had to create his child in her womb in a different way. All right, I'm going to quote for you one of the most influential theologians of our time, Larry the Cucumber. And he said, (laughs) when creating the stars, he just went, and there they were. So if he can do that, a baby, well, we're, we're fine with that. The inexplicable is that God would let himself be born of a person. What people beget gods? Gods can beget, like, demigods, if you're into mythology, but people cannot beget gods. What's going on in this story is insane, and I'll add, a little risky for God, because we don't get who he is anyway, and then he's going to make himself small so that he can be with us. That's 
shocking. Talk about awe. And the thing, and I, I'm not going to go through all of the different ways that Mary does this, but in her song, she is recounting to the, to, to the world, because the world is watching now, that this is not only bigger than we can understand, it's also mildly predictable, as crazy as that is, because this is the God she's learned about forever. She, she knows this kind of God. Many of you have probably already heard me uh, talk about this, so I won't go into detail. Um, I'll just allude to the stories. My f- the moment when the manger first became something more than a story to me actually happened in Exodus. I know I'm a different bird. But when I was reading the story of Exodus and teaching it to my students, and I had students in there that expressly said, I, I know you're excited about the Old Testament, but I want the God of the New Testament. I want the God that rips the curtain open and allows the Gentiles into the inner courts, an allusion to what happens when Jesus dies on the cross. I want that God. And so we got through the end of the book of Exodus and the whole, all the crazy, wonderful, memorable pieces were pointing to this moment that we usually ignore. And that was that God showed up in his tabernacle. Some of you have heard me talk about this already. If you haven't, oh man. And the student I was speaking to said, wait a minute. You want to tell me that the God who created heaven and earth was willing to come down and live in a box just to be near his people. He didn't have to do it to save them. He'd already rescued them. And then I look at the manger, and I look at Mary's words as she extols God, and she's already kind of asked, like, who am I? And then she asks, you know, who are we? And she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud. Think of all the times in Israel's history he's done that. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He just turns the world upside down when he moves. He's lifted up the humble. That's what he's doing right here. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He just flips the world. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to his fathers. Remember this thing he was going to do for us? Come and redeem the world. He's doing it, and he's doing it in the weirdest way possible. A God will be, become, a person, not just a person, but you got to start as a babe. If you can't grasp that, welcome to the club. It's unfathomable. But as we move into this time of communion, to remember how much he loves us, how much he sacrificed for us, the fact that he gave his son this babe. And that the son, his act of humbling wasn't just to show up and be potentially mistaken for a person, 
but then he's going to go ahead and die for us? As we, as we remember in our act of communion that that's, that's what he did, I invite you to just, just to, like, don't beat yourself up when you're going into your Christmas season and you're like, I wish I could get it more. You can't get it. It's way too big. And whether you celebrate it righteously by kind of doing a little less of the Christmas stuff and a little more of the Jesus stuff, or with full-on consumerism like my house, (laughs) by trying to create the awe and wonder, by giving presents. (laughs) Enjoy the miraculous that is God's message to us. I believe that there were packets. I haven't introduced communion since COVID. I believe there are packets that you got on your way in. I think I'm supposed to tell you how to open them. They should have checked to see that I know how to open them first. There's like this double layered top to it. And you gotta peel back the first layer to get the wafer, and then you can peel back the second layer to get the juice quasi-wine substitute thing. And I invite you as we move forward, um, let's just bow in prayer and remember what God has done for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your, not just your, your humility and your grace and your desire to be with us, because we've spent the whole morning talking about that. but your willingness to engage with us even when we can't grasp it, your biggest gift, and we can't get it, we can't grasp it, we can't understand it enough to thank you enough. And thank you even that you created in the system of the the traditions of your celebrations for your people, continual reminders of how big it is that you, what you did. Thank you that every, every time we take communion, we remember this gift. In your precious name, may everything we do this holiday season be an act of worship to you. Amen.